Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. radio show uh, for the first time in July it feels like in fact I think it actually is EJ that uh, you know sometimes the summer life gets a little bit of a hold of us as uh, parents and families and such but uh, glad to be back with you my friend and uh, glad to be past that awful awful all-star break yeah nice to be back with you too buddy you know in, in doing some show prep today and yes we actually do that on occasion it was funny I was, I was looking back to the last time that we were on the air and I realized that if I was so inclined musically, I could probably rewrite Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire to every Mets headline from the last time that we were on the air because this is a much different configured team than the last time we spoke to this audience. Absolutely. There have been a couple of season-ending injuries along the way. There have been a couple of uh, minor trades here and there, a very controversial signing, a controversial benching or two, a major demotion, a major repromotion. Um, and just to you know, just to kind of start start at the top with uh, the just announced uh, recall of Michael Conforto from AAA. Yeah, good move. I feel like I, I think hopefully this uh, this demotion and promotion will serve much as it did for Travis Darno a few years back, where Darno went down to Vegas. He, he got his confidence back. He started hitting really nicely down there, and then came back up here and he carried it through the remainder of that season. Conforto was absolutely mashing the ball down in Vegas, and he wasn't just doing it in the friendly confines. He was doing it on the road as well. So that, uh, that they said that the motion was going to be short-lived, and they kept their word on that one as uh, he's on his way back up. And Nimmo's going down. And, you know, it was a, a nice to get a little glimpse of Nimmo and the kid's enthusiasm and what he brings to the game, I think, is exactly what the clubhouse kind of needed at the time that he arrived. But uh, if he's not getting the four at today, there's, there's no reason to have him up here. So, let him head back down to Vegas, continue seasoning himself a little more, and uh, you know we'll be seeing him again in the, the pretty near future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there are a couple things going on right here, and I do think that uh, everyday play for Brandon Nimmo is the best thing, whether or not – you know, we have no idea exactly. I mean, because right now, as much as we, we love Brandon Nimmo, and I, I love the enthusiasm, I love what he brings to the table, I think the power will develop. He's still a young kid. But at the end of the day, you do still have a kid who may be more valuable as a trade chip, and you just don't know uh, what Sandy's thinking is there. Uh, it, it does seem like as good a time as any to get him playing every day in a good offensive atmosphere to if you're going to look at trading him potentially with the fact that, let's be honest, this team has needs, um, you know, maximizing everything. And I, I would say the same applies to actually at the major league level, Mr. Ligaris. Yeah, agreed, and people were making a big deal about Lagares getting so much playing time lately, but I feel like the playing time's been beneficial to him. He's definitely been uh, much improved from last season, 
And you're right, there's going to be an odd man out right here in this outfield, particularly if the rumors are that they're going to enter into some type of contract extension talks with Cespedes, that we have the abundance of outfielders right now, and if we can showcase them, be it Nimmo at the AAA level where the friendly confines are there, or Ligaris up here as long as he continues playing well, it definitely could be an interesting trade chip for Sandy to have. The one thing to note, though, is uh, they said on the broadcast today that Ligaris has said that his recent tweaked injury has been exacerbated by playing center field. So that's something that you're going to want to keep your eye on when you start talking about the potential of trading along the guys is that sounds like Cespedes isn't all that comfortable right now in center field. No, no. Cespedes is definitely saying that he needs to be in left field right now. And that's a lot of why I know the Mets have been playing Conforto in right field. And I had the opportunity to see Conforto play a triple a couple of weeks ago. And I, yeah, the one thing I noted is, is he seemed like a work in progress as far as getting getting back to where he needed to be. Uh, the swing was there, the presence was there, but the confidence wasn't quite yet, uh, and some, and the results were mixed. And I think that uh, you, know, you have a situation though that uh, you know if you've got Cespedes every day in left field, and quite frankly, if that's what you've got, I mean, if you've got Cespedes and you can only play left field, he's your everyday left fielder. Sorry, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. You're not benching Cespedes. I mean, that's that's absurd. The only the only scenario you you potentially pull him out of left field is an interleague game that would require a DH. I mean, that's that's about it. Uh, but with uh, with um, you know Ligaris, basically the only center fielder left, that basically gives a split of playing time in right field to Granderson, who's been doing very well since leaving that the, the um, leadoff spot, and Michael Conforto. Which so it's a very interesting. Uh, I, I want to call it a dilemma because realistically, the Mets are a team without a center fielder right now, not named Juan Ligaris, and not every lineup, despite how good Ligaris has been the couple, past couple of weeks, is warranting him to be in it. It's the same problem the infield has with uh, Wilmer Flores. Yeah, you know what's really interesting there is you mentioned that Granderson's been so good lately, and it's been. As soon as he got out of that leadoff spot, it seems like they can't get him out. But now with Conforto coming back up, it's going to be interesting to see how Terry plays this because if Terry decides, okay, well, I need to get Granderson in there and I want Conforto in there, so Grandy's going to have to play center, well, that takes Lazarus out and that puts Grandy back at leadoff spot. And I can sit here and make an argument with you all day long that leadoff Curtis Granderson's numbers, those are the, that's the guy who I would warrant the benching. If you're going into a platoon situation – I, I just don't feel like that's productive enough of those four guys, given Ligaris' productivity of late and what we're hoping we're going to see out of Conforto when he gets back here. Well, and the other thing, too, is, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of, uh, of Grandison. I'm you know, certainly glad we signed him. I uh, definitely did not turn out to be Jason Bay part two. Any of those things that, you know, some of the naysayers said when we signed him, you know, almost three years ago now. But is there any configuration on a winning 2017 Mets where you see him as a starter? I, I really don't, especially if Nimmo goes down there and bashes. I think it makes him even more difficult to find a spot for him if Nimmo's going to be knocking at the door to get up there on a regular basis next year as well. I absolutely agree with you. I don't see a scenario where either him nor Juan Lagares are everyday players for the Mets beyond this. I can make an argument for both of them to be very, very important bench players but those guys on the bench versus those guys being used as potential trade chips, I think it's more interesting to pursue a trade route with one of them. 
Yeah, and that's exactly how I look at it as well. I mean, it, it seems it seems like the the you know there are definitely an abundance of I don't want to call it riches, abundance of uh, um, you know middle class citizens, I suppose. Um, you know, it, it's the, the you know there's just too many people occupying the same roles in the same way. And, you know, obviously everybody had, you know, their thing to say about Jose Reyes, and I, I certainly was was vocal about him being, you know, brought back in the reasons I didn't think it was the greatest of ideas. Uh, baseball-wise, and he certainly is, you know, I want to say proven to be wrong, per se, because he does, he, you know, he does seem to be performing better than I expected him to. Uh, but, you know, it's certainly not a long-term term solution over there. And you know you have a lot of question marks long term with this team. A lot of people were putting faith into that uh, uh, Giriel, the uh, Cuban third baseman, being signed. It went out being signed by of all teams, the Astros, which makes no sense to me still. Uh, but uh, on a contract, I never would have wanted a player signed to that had no major league experience. But um, the uh, the reality of it is. A lot of these question marks, TJ, they're not going away when the injured people that occupy them are coming back because, quite frankly, some of them may not be coming back, namely Mr. Wright. Yeah, it's true. And you know that Jose is not going to be the long-term solution at third base. No. And we've been saying for two years now that they needed to address that. They needed to somehow get the guy who, even if it was going to be a stopgap of a year or two, they needed to get that guy into the system, and they still have yet to do so. So there's definitely going to be some tough decisions that are going to have to be made regarding third base. Do I think Jose can finish out the year as the third baseman? I do. I mean, he's definitely shown the arm's still there, the range is still there, and he's getting enough done right now offensively to, to allow it. But it's kind of hilarious when they, when they made the signing. And I'll go on record saying I was in favor of the signing. I absolutely – think it's disgusting what happened with him in his personal life, but I am also a proponent of second chances. So when I heard there was a chance, I, I thought, you know what, let's bring him back. The guy was desperate to get back here. And how often prior to last year when the young guns showed up, were anybody desperate to become a New York Metropolitan? Well, Reyes was desperate to get back here, desperate to get back to a place where he's happy. He's probably much happier in his personal life. I don't know him, but I was in favor of giving him that second chance with the team that he so desired and loved but it's hilarious that when they made that signing at the time everybody was saying from the Mets organization he's not coming here to be an everyday player he's not coming here to be the everyday leadoff player he's going to platoon around the infield and he's going to play some outfield now with the log jam that you and I just talked about in the outfield I see absolutely zero scenario where Jose Reyes ever steps foot in the outfield this year you know, it's funny, a couple of days ago, I forget which one of the beat reporters, it may have been Andrew Beaton, I'm not sure, but uh, one of them uh, was talking about uh, the fact that uh, Reyes is taking <laughs> taking a grounder and pop-ups in center field. And, uh, you know, that's not necessarily the world's worst idea, but, uh, you know, you're absolutely correct. I mean, for me, I the, the concern I have, I mean, obviously all off-field, disgusting, abysmal, pathetic things aside, um, the the all of those things aside, if you strictly look at the Reyes thing through a baseball prism, which I was trying my hardest to do, uh, not always succeeding, admittedly, but trying my hardest to do, um, I I saw a person that I 
thought was different from what Met fans were seeing because I felt like everybody was expecting a Reyes who is at least five to seven years younger than what he is out there right now. And that was kind of my big beef. It's like, this is not the same guy um, who, you know, who could steal you 60 bases a year. This is not the same guy that's going to lead the league in triples anymore. He's barely had any in the past few years. And, you know, it, it, it's one of those things. When speed is the cornerstone of your game, you're not necessarily going to be Ricky Henderson in that, you know, playing into your 40s and maintaining that speed. Reyes didn't protract as that kind of player. His on-base percentage was going down. His batting average going down, um, you know, for the last three, four seasons. And so that was my biggest concern was that he, we were going to bring in this guy who was conceived and perceived as a hero from his Mets past and wind up being a complete and total disappointment because he's basically Jose Reyes 2016, which is exactly, you know, uh, what he is. Uh, and, it, you know, to, I guess what I'm saying is I was afraid of unfair expectations. And I think that uh, so far he seems to have reached something of a fountain of youth with coming back. Whether or not that catches up to him over the next two months, we'll see. But I think you're absolutely correct. I think this is absolutely something we could finish the year with if he keeps this up. Yeah, I mean, as far as the race thing goes, the number one argument I can make for him to not be playing right now is the fact that you couldn't get Wilmer Flores out during a recent stretch. He was absolutely on fire, and now he's back on the bench in favor of Reyes. So, I mean, I guess the one good thing you can say is that if the enthusiasm and energy that New York has brought back into Jose Reyes ever does diminish, at least you could feel a little more comfortable putting Wilmer back into that position, considering after faltering early in the season, it seemed like Wilmer was coming around with the bat, and you can have confidence that he would at least be as good as what Jose is doing right now. You might not put up the extra bases the way that Jose does, but he was at least competent both in the field and offensively. And the fact is, I mean, you know, not looking at his yearly statistics, but looking at Wilmer strictly from when he took over third base from David David Wright when the, you know he went out for the season, the, the numbers proved he was a more than adequate replacement, and he was trending higher in every offensive character. Uh, category over right at that point. Yeah, he's been, he had been very solid and he'd been, like I said, unable to get him out the past couple of weeks when he took over at third. So I definitely feel that if anybody got the short end of the stick so far this year at the Mets, it's Wilmer because he struggled, he struggled, he struggled. And then he finally catches fire and Hey, guess what? We just signed an all time Met fan favorite and we're giving him your position. So that's definitely a, a tough blow to take for uh, for Wilmer Flores. Oh, yeah, and Travis, we need the number, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Travis at least got a Rolex out of it. What did Wilmer get? <laughs> <laughs> Fair point, right? Yeah, all Travis had to give up was the number, not his job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's, you know, it, it, it certainly bears the thought that, again, we're looking at a team that uh, – um, you know, it, it, going into today's action with seven games out, they're about to pick up the game before that, that evil former Met hit a home run in the bottom of the ninth for the Nationals to tie up that game. Uh, but uh, the um, the um, the reality of it is this is still a Met team that's in it. And I think, you know, let's, as we kind of talk forward in the, the official, you know, second half, is even though the 81st game comes about two weeks these days before the All-Star game, 
you know, it's it's kind of like the Fourth of July being the unofficial beginning of summer, even though it happened weeks ago. It, it's sort of the same thing in that you know, looking at what we now refer to as the second half. Um, what is what? Where do you see this team? Where do you see, you know? Do you consider them a contender? Do you consider them a pretender, or do you consider them a team needing a lot of help? I I think they're a wild card contender. Um, I feel like the Nationals may run and hide, and I never thought that before. But I feel like they just they just feel like they have so much momentum right now. They have such a balanced line up top to bottom right now. That, that evil ex-Met is absolutely killing it and arguably the NL MVP right now. I see the Mets where their biggest fault was in the first half and what they need to correct in the second half is they didn't beat the snot out of the basement dwellers in their own division. If they had just gone 500 with the Braves, I'd be sitting here today saying, you know what, this Mets team is in fact a contender for the division because they're probably at that point – two to four games out if they had done that. So letting the bad teams, even getting two or three from Philly in their ballpark this weekend, that was what I needed to see. They needed to come out and and stomp them a little bit, and they did just that in the two games they won. So that's the biggest thing. As far as them needing help, I definitely think they do, bud. I mean, look, we haven't mentioned them yet, but we might as well. Losing Matt Harvey, now granted, Matt Harvey was not pitching like Matt Harvey. But just the blow to the psyche of the team to lose that guy in your rotation, that's huge. And I like Logan Verrett a lot. I really think he has a major role on this team. Um, He can definitely be the swing guy who can go in and out of the pen. He can spot start for you. I do not like Logan Verrett as your fifth starter regularly in this rotation. And they've said time and again that when Wheeler gets back, whenever that may be, they're going to a six-man at some point. I really don't like the idea of a six-man rotation with Logan Verrett on it, which gives you one more game at a time that you have to wait to get Syndergaard and DeGrom on the mound. And I just don't have the confidence that Verrett can keep up his performance thus far. So I do think there's I – mean, I never thought I was going to say that the Mets need help at starting pitching, but I would like to see them grab somebody for that back end of the rotation. And I know too much fans chagrin – the name John Neese has been thrown around, and that is not my solution. However, a John Neese-type pitcher, I would take. The only reason I don't want to take Neese back is because he's done nothing but talk, talk smack about the organization since the trade. If he had uh, just gone out of town all class, I'd say, you know what? Yeah, bring Neese back. That's the kind of guy we need for the back of the rotation. But that, that's definitely the type of pitcher I think they can use. Uh, I love where the pen's at. And then we've got some decisions to make, dude. What what's the deal at first base when dude is ready to go? Because right now I'm liking what I see out of Loney. So they they've definitely got a lot of areas where they can uh, they can improve on the second half. But I do still think at the end of the day that the Mets will be a wild card team. I'm backing off a little bit of my prediction of 102. That might have been a little pie in the sky. That might have been a little of the World Series champagne still uh, running through my veins when I made that prediction but I do still think that they're going to be an upper 80s win team and they're going to be right there in the wild card hunt. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I'm pretty much with you on all of that. I think for me, the uh, the reality of it is, is there's, there are two separate sets of solutions. One, get through this year. And two, you know, uh, you know how do we build out long-term? Because one, uh, and Loney has kind of proven this for me, 
essentially. I, I knew it in my heart, but Lucas Duda is not the long-term solution at first base. Sorry, he just isn't. Nope. Uh, he has a couple nice weeks a year, and those get him some big stats. And the rest of the time, he is a lump in the lineup. Um, and I, I just don't see this Met team being significant, a player long-term with him as your everyday first baseman. Now, I don't know if that means you go a season with uh, platooning Loney and Wilmer Flores there next year until Dom Smith is hopefully ready for 2018, um, or if you want to you know, go out and get somebody. I don't know. Third base is another story. There's a squat available on the free agent market for third base next year. If you want to get a permanent True. replacement for David Wright, and you know certainly it's plausible to say maybe David Wright is a long-term solution at first base. Got a lot, a lot of years left on that contract, and quite frankly, it may be the better option for him. Um, and that's something you could start right at the beginning of his rehab, hand him the mitt and say, this is what we need, David. Um, and, you know, I, I think he would do it personally because that's the kind of guy David Wright is. Uh, but the uh, the reality of it is you don't know what's coming back or if anything's coming back. But I think whatever comes back to David Wright should not be at third base. But I think the trade route is still the only way, and I still think if you want a decent, good, solid third baseman, I hate to say it, your rotation's where you got to hit. And with the, you know, I, I still think despite the injury, the Mets have to at least think about the possibility that trading Harvey is a is a possibility, even though it might be at a lower price than they get from a year from now. If he gets you that third baseman that can play every day and put up good numbers, don't you have to do it? I feel like you do, but I feel like a banged up Harvey isn't getting you back the third baseman that you're going to need for multiple years. You may get a stopgap third baseman back for him at this point. You're not getting a Todd Frazier for Matt Harvey right now based on Harvey's injury being season ending injury twice, two out of three years. It's just, it's, it's not going to be high on a lot of the buyers uh, checklist to get Harvey in, in there. I do think I do agree with you though. If in the event they say, look, we want our third baseman of the next four to five years via trade right now. I agree with you. It's going to have to be a trade that combines some form of maybe one of those excess outfielders. And yeah, one of the starters, and it's tough because we've had this debate for years now where we kept saying, would you trade one of the big three? Would you trade one of the big four when Montero was part of that? And, of course, now Matt's has replaced that. And I think pretty much on this show, we pretty stood strong, all of us, saying we didn't want to do it. And that was before any of these guys had made their major league debuts. Now they've made their debuts. We've had some, some wonderful times getting to cheer them at the ballpark, getting to watch them do electric stuff. I mean, DeGrom today was just a throwback. Uh, it's funny with uh, all the Doc and Darrell stuff that we've been seeing this week based on the 30 for 30, that was a, a throwback Doc-like performance out of DeGrom today. So we've come to, we went to a World Series with these guys. So now we've come to love these guys. We've come to cherish them, embrace them as Mets, and the, the thought of now getting rid of one of them, really, it, it sits heavy in my heart to think about it. But realistically, my brain is saying, yeah, you might have to do it. And with that said, though, I think you and I are both on the same page. Which guy you're not even picking up the phone for a general manager if they're asking about out of that rotation? Yeah, I mean, to me, there is, is as far as who you keep from this rotation, uh, I mean, who is, quote-unquote, untradeable in this organization, basically. There are three names on my list that are untradeable in the New York Mets organization. 
They are Noah Syndergaard, Michael Conforto, and Ahmed Rosario. Those are the only three names on the list. Everything else has to be game. And, you know, I, I don't like the idea. Of, hey, I don't want to see DeGrom go, uh, especially because he's got you know, far more years experience, far less year experience than some of the other guys. And, you know, he's one of those guys, he's going to be 30 when he's a free, free agent, over 30, in fact, that, uh, you know, he's the type of guy that reluctantly I'd probably let walk rather than offer an extension to. But um, the the reality of it is, is yeah, my list begins and ends with Noah Syndergaard as far as who you keep from that rotation. That being said, everything that's gone on this year, I mean, as much insurance as you can keep around around him, the better, because, you know, you have to go forward as if you believe at some point in Noah Syndergaard's career he is going to lose a, a season to Tommy John surgery. It's just the way you have to look at every pitcher now. Yeah, and I mean, we've said that for a couple of years now. And given the the velocity he throws at and the ferociousness of which he throws, you, you got to assume that that might be on the table at some point. So that's why having a guy like Bartolo Colon around has been kind of a godsend for the Mets as Wheeler goes down last year and Bartolo picks up his slot. Harvey goes down this year and Bartolo just keeps chugging along. So, But the thing is, you're not going to have Bartolo Colon forever. So at some point you are going to need to fill in other guys who can take that role much like Bartolo can. And, and you know, I agree with you about Syndergaard, by the way. He is the guy I was referring to. I would never, ever consider trading Noah Syndergaard. He's just too electric. He loves the city too much. I mean, this guy is uh, – everyone talks about Wright and Harvey. Noah Syndergaard, for two years, as long as he stays healthy, he's the face of the franchise. I mean, this guy is just all about New York, all about being a Met. He has fun with the fans. He, he is basically the guy that – we are going to flock to if, if, God forbid, this team ever goes through another dark period, we'll still know, hey, every five games I get to watch Noah pitch. So that's a, that's a pretty good thing. So, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, and this is kind of interesting, you mentioned Dom Smith earlier. And I'm sure anybody who's paying attention has seen what he's been doing right now in the minors. He is just absolutely demolishing minor league baseball right now. I'm pretty sure you're looking at a triple-A call up sooner rather than later for him. Have, uh, him making his way to Vegas, but there's a guy that could be very interesting when you're talking about the trade market. He's someone who we like. He's someone who we kept our eye on. We wanted to watch him develop, and he's doing just that, and he could potentially fill a major role for this team down the road, but that's one guy who I had at one point had on my can't-touch list, and now I'm thinking his value has got to be so much higher than it has ever been that that's a guy who I would definitely be considering if I was a uh, – uh, another general manager who has maybe an aging or retiring first baseman in the next couple of years, that's a guy who I would definitely be keeping my eye on as a potential trade chair. You know, the reality of it is anybody that comes to the Mets this winter on a major trade, and the Mets need to make a major trade. We'll come back to Cespedes in a minute because I have a few things. We talked briefly about that, and I, I want to revisit Cespedes a little bit here before we move too far on. Uh, the Mets need to make a major acquisition this winter. Um, they need another marquee guy, not necessarily because they need another face of the franchise, not to do it. And this is regardless of whatever happens with Cespedes. Um, they simply need another major, major bat. Somebody with, you know, again, that, that good on-base percentage with good power and, you know, good, uh, you know, it can actually hit, you know, with runners in scoring position will be, preferable, 
that is, for whatever inexplicable reason, the major problem this team has had this season. Um, the the reality of it is nobody is going to trade us a marquee player without either Rosario or Smith or attempt to get both out of us. And I look around baseball and I look around, you know, I look around at what's out there right now. I mean, yeah, there are a good handful of really, really good shortstops out there, but I really like this Rosario kid. I like him on the field. I like him off the field. He's great to follow on Twitter if you're not doing that already, people. Follow him at Rosario on Twitter. He is a lot of fun, very inspiring guy, is just having a blast. And he, too, since getting called up to to AA, which is considered the biggest jump in baseball to go from A-ball to AA, uh, the change in competition is at its steepest, but it's kind of considered the big testing point. Uh, I believe last time I checked, he was hitting north of 400 since promotion. Whew. And I mean, to yeah, the that's, point where I think you know, and that's, that's, like, that's he's going to wind up a triple A before the end of the year. Yeah, and, and that's he's a position 20. that, hey, you look at it right, you, yeah, you look at it right now and you say, oh, wait. Not only are the Mets going to need another short or third baseman at some point, they are going to need another shortstop at some point. As Drupal Cabrera has gone beyond my expectations, you know from doing this show up with me, I've been calling for the Mets to acquire him for four freaking years. So the last thing I want to do is already rush as, as Drupal out the door. But it's, in all likelihood, this guy is not your long-term answer at shortstop. So you are going to need to address that at some point. If you can address that internally with Rosario, well, Good on you, which is why I agree with you. I would not be – it would really take a blow-me-over kind of deal to to get him out of this organization. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that any team getting him would have to – I don't want to say grossly overpay, but I would expect to be pretty well overpaid for to get his services on their team. Okay, so to give you an idea, at St. Lucie, prior to his, prior to his promotion – he was batting 309 with three home runs, 40 RBIs, and 13 stolen bases. Um, since uh, since his promotion, uh, he's not hitting any home runs. He's got 13 RBIs, um, and he's batting 414. And that's a yeah, 70 he's exactly bats, what you not a small sample size. Batting average and 70 speed. at bats. That is two things desperately lacking on this team. You've got power for days in this lineup. You've got no high batting average guys, and you've got no speed guys outside of Reyes. And he's not really a speed guy anymore. So that is the definition of the kind of guy who you eventually need in this lineup. And probably at the rate that he's been going, I think you can realistically target late 2017, uh, maybe a cup of coffee, and then regularly 2018 if he continues to show the, the signs of the, the player that he's going to be like this. I mean, and to give you an idea on the speed, I mean, the stolen bases are, are one thing, but 16 doubles, 11 triples, and this is over his entire season, mind you. And here's the most impressive to me. He has struck out 47 times this season and 335 at-bats, which in the heck of a lot. And, oh, yeah, he's walked 30 times. He has walked nearly as often as he has struck out. That's killer eye. Yep, and that's that killer eye. And what does the current lineup have in it for days? They've got strikeouts for days, and they've got very few walks. 
And that is the type of guy who you absolutely need in this lineup. So someday, when it is his time to get up there, I think he will, he will fit in perfectly with the big club, and, which is why, like you, you and I have both said, I, I just, I'm not fielding offers for him right now unless you're going to blow me over. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's something along the lines of, hey, we'll give you Corey Seager for Rosario and another guy or something. Yeah, that, that yeah, maybe I take that call, but you know that's you yeah. know, and, and I know that call will never come, so I'm not like saying that as a realistic offer. It's not a WFAN trade. Um, it's it's just simply to say that's how an untouchable in my mind this guy is. Um, he he is the shortstop of the future. I firmly believe that, and I am not at all interested in seeing other options for the future at shortstop besides him. So I mean that's that's definitely. Uh, you know, number one in my book, I, I am a big, big Rosario fan. And, and as far as this team goes, you, you put your finger on it with all the Ks. You know, th- that's why this team is so hard to predict over the second half of the season. And we're talking, just, you know, obviously about what our expectations are. I would just like some freaking consistency. This streaky nature, which is something that I, I, I think I even talked about uh, when we did our season preview at the beginning of the year, where I pretty much refused to say how far I thought in the playoffs the Mets would get because I was so concerned about their streakiness, saying I could see them easily getting hot in October and bowling everybody away, but equally going ice cold and right out. Um, the, the fact is, I think they're a streaky team. I think they're better than they are uh, not good. Um, I think the uh, the season will continue to weigh out that the good streaks outweigh the bad streaks. It's just about how the stupid thing times out. Um, but the way that – and here's the big question. You know, we, we talk about the wild card. If you look at the wild card standings, um, I haven't looked at them since Friday morning, but uh, I don't know that they've changed all that much. It basically would have had the wild card played out today. You're looking at Mets and Dodgers. One game. Yep. Kershaw Syndergaard. Yep. Kershaw Syndergaard. And, Dang. And I love, I love Thor, but God, does that scare me. You know, the, the thing about it is, as far as I'm concerned in baseball right now, you got number one, and that's Clayton Kershaw. You yep. got number two, Jake Arrieta, probably. I, I think that's pretty safe to say, even though the Mets are one of the teams that at least as much as you can get to Arietta, get to Arietta. Uh, yep. And then, you know, you have another selection of you, like Mad Bum and all those. But right up in that conversation is Noah Syndergaard. He's, he is easily middle of the top ten, if not eking up towards the top three in the, in the league. But Kate, Clayton Kershaw in a big high-power game, most likely in L.A., knowing that the, whoever the winner is, and it's a scenario as of right now, would be heading north to, to uh, San Francisco right afterwards to play the Giants. So, you, you know, you, you okay, you got past Kershaw, but here's Mad Bum and, uh, and Cueto. Crap. Yep. I mean, yep. it's, this, is, mean... Is, it, this is not the year to get the wild card, if that's how it plays out. I mean, because anything goes, and that's the – I think that's kind of the thing is that I, my expectation for the rest of the season is the Mets will win somewhere between 85 and 90 games. They will remain within the last week or two in in the race uh, for the wild card. I do not believe they will win the division. 
Uh, I'm happy to be wrong about that. I do not believe they'll win the division. I do believe they'll most likely win the wild card. But again, without more consistent play, without Sandy going out of the deadline and getting some more on-base kind of guys, um, I I can't predict any further than that because I just have no damn clue. I mean, you nailed it on the head with the word consistent. When the Mets were firing on all cylinders in April, it's not like they were doing what Daniel Murphy did at the end of last season. Everybody wasn't going out. Now, granted, Neil Walker hitting nine home runs in April, that's an anomaly. But aside from that, everyone was just going out and playing decent baseball. Everybody was doing their jobs offensively. People were, were situational hitting, and then it's all of a sudden, it's just like, poof, that went away. And now we're back to being this insanely streaky team again. And I agree with you. That's insanely frustrating. I mean, anybody who watched the World Series last year saw a team that went from lightning hot to ice cold, and it cost them the series. So I totally agree with you that they need to find themselves some, some more consistency in the lineup, and I think that's why the worst thing that could possibly happen right now is if Lucas Duda gets healthy. Because if Lucas Duda gets healthy, Terry Collins has his Lucas Duda obsession where, hey, he's big, so he hits four. And sliding Lucas Duda back into that cleanup spot every day is not the solution right now. So I'll ask you then, we've got two weeks to the trading deadline. If you have to, if, if Sandy can only address one thing right now, between now and the deadline, where do you want him to go? That now is a tough. rough one. It's that a tough is one. a rough one. This, this, this and, you know, I am going to stay with the thing. I am going to stay the course on this one. I am absolutely going to stay with the course on this decision. And I'm going to take Travis Darno and possibly Dom Smith. If I can talk them down further, great. And I'm going to send them to Milwaukee for Jonathan Lucroy. Okay. That's my move. Even- Consistent with that all season. You want you want it, Luke? Because it addresses it addresses everything offensively. I feel there's a problem where the pitching, at least, I feel like there are at least potential solutions from within. I I completely can see that, and I think that's not irrational. You're not at, that's not a WFAN move. That's a very legitimate, fair trade on both sides that I think would leave fans of both teams pretty happy. Because it fills both teams have major needs, and it fills both of their needs. So I think that's totally fair, and I don't think it's out of the realm of expectations. And that said, I have way more confidence heading into this trade deadline than I have in a while in Sandy. I feel like he got a taste of the mountaintop last year. He's looking at a team that who knows how long this team remains together, and I think he wants another taste. So in, in for Mets fans, I think we're in a good spot with our general manager as far as what he wants Agreed. to see at this trade deadline. So hopefully he's being very aggressive, and I feel like he will be, and uh, it benefits all of us in the long run. Now, in fairness, keep in mind, you gave me one move, and you just gave him current plans to do what he needs. So <laughs> <laughs> This is true. Sandy, fire up all phones. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, if you want to give one move, my move is tell Sandy do whatever it takes. Uh, but you know, <laughs> if you really only have one move, I mean that that to me is the best move because if you got a couple guys you could try in the rotation, you still got Enola yeah. at Triple uh, A. Gil Martin hasn't been so hot starting lately in Vegas, but let's face it, it is Vegas, so you can't totally take that at face value. 
But so he's another True. guy that you can start, that, you know, that you can do. And I mean, you can pick up. Sounds like John needs for a bucket bucket of golf balls at this point. Um, so well, I mean, you know, you've got a couple of you know, got a couple of decent options out there. But uh, you know, the one thing I was noticing, uh, you know, uh, looking at young pitching, uh, Michael Fulmer, of course, the pitcher, the prospect, uh, now basically superstar of the uh, Tigers. Uh, for as much as Yoannis Cespedes' play has, you know, justified the Mets keeping him, um, how, how much, uh, how much do you think Jeff Fulmer plays into that? Because geez, to to have lost him for you know a season and a half of Cespedes, it's kind of hurt I think after this year. Oh yeah, you can't discount that at all. That if you end up losing what turns out to be an all-star caliber pitcher in exchange for a one and a half season rental, then there's definitely some egg on the face there. But I tell you, you know, I, I'll tell you, though, I love it when a good old-fashioned trade pans out for both teams. You know, I, I know yep, people absolutely. are, you know, some of the mentality, some of the mentality of baseball fans is you got to win the trade. You got to, you got to smoke the other team. You got to, you got to rub their faces in it and make them look bad. I tell you, you know, there's some trades that go down and I feel bad for the team afterwards. A great example probably would have been the, uh, the uh, trade for um, Johan, that is exactly the one. I mean, obviously, Gomez panned out eventually, but it sure wasn't in Minnesota. Uh, yep. I mean, it was that was just a you know, a cluster of a deal for Minnesota, you know, to give up a you know what was then an on track to be Hall of Famer uh, for you know what amounted to nothing for them, and that 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 bothers me out because it's like you know what, you know. Marlon's got a number of good years out of Preston Wilson. I felt pretty good about that. I, you know, obviously no Mike Piazza, but still, you know, it, it's it's about yeah, it's about absolutely. getting you know, I'm not about ripping off another team, I, you know, and that's why it's kind of like Darno and possibly Dom Smith, or if you can talk him into two lesser prospects, even better. Uh, but I, that seems fair for Lacroix. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. If they want to ask for one of the outfielders instead, I'm fine with that. As you said, we have an abundance of them, but yeah, I, I definitely, I'm with you. I've always felt bad about that Johan deal for Minnesota, and we've referenced it on the show a few times. But I, I agree. I like when players work out for both sides, and I, I think it keeps the trade flow going more fairly. I, I think if every trade seems one sided, it seems to be much more hesitant to, to get involved in trading. So, I mean, granted, we've spoken at length about how in the two wild card era, the trade deadline should be two weeks later because basically everyone thinks they're a wild card contender, but you would hope that there are some good fair trades that are about to go down and hopefully uh, some of the next favor. But uh, before we end though, I want to go back to Seth for this because you said you had a couple things on him. And I think that's probably the most interesting character about what the second half of the year will bring for him. You've got that investing option and it's going to be very interesting what his second half brings. I feel. Yeah, I think that that's, that's going to be key for Cespedes. I mean, again, I am strongly in favor if the Mets want to approach him about, you know, nixing out the rest of his uh, options and, you know, the, the opt-out and all of that and, and uh, negotiating with him. I mean, it, it it was a hard sell for me. You and I both know that. We talked about it many, many times. Yep. Uh, I, I'm ready to see the Mets commit long-term to him. Um. You know, I, I he he still does some stuff that annoys the utter crap out of me. But the reality of it is, is you know, the electric the electricity he can put into a ball game in one swing uh, more than cancels the occasional time that he forgets to run the first on a bus. Uh, 
Uh, but see, I, I think that you're right. Yeah. I think a lot of this hinges on on Cespedes. Uh, but I think it all hinges again. It's the same thing for Cespedes. I say, just just be sticking consistent. Either he could, you know, because some of the stuff is even around baseball is unsustainable. And I know we've been saying this all year, but really, how long can Murphy ho- hold this up? He's not a demigod. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I it's and, and I know people. Some people have had some suggestions, some innuendos. I'm sorry, I just don't see it because Murphy doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who, you know, who cheat in this game, but. You know, there, there is no explanation to me that is logical apart from the fact that this is one elongated fluke. Well, you know, I saw an interesting thing the other day, and apparently in mid-August last year, Kevin Long changed Murphy's batting stance. And since that time he's hit, I don't know if it holds up, these numbers are like two weeks old, but since that time he hit something ridiculous, like 390 with 30 home runs from mid-August till right now. So maybe there is something to that whole uh, hitting coaches matter in the, uh, in the, at the majors. <laughs> maybe, maybe I've been wrong about it all along. Who knows? But uh, as far as Cespedes goes, you know, I'm absolutely shocked to hear the words, I'd be okay with them offering them a contract extension come out of your mouth. Because <laughs> you've been, you were pretty vehemently against it, but I understand why you've changed your tune to that. And I totally agree with you about that. As long as, you're not talking about the type of deal that everyone just assumed he was going to get in this past offseason, one of these stupid Jason Worth-type deals. As long as it's a reasonable deal, I'd be on board with that as well. As long as it's reasonable, and I mean, I hate to say it, to some extent, you're going to have to make Cespedes live up to the promise that this is where he wants to be in that sense. And I'm not saying hometown discount and short, you know, short him, but you just can't give a six or seven year contract to the guy. I, I'm, I don't care who it is. I'm really against six and seven year contracts. Period. Um, I mean, my, my general rules. If I was a general manager, I wouldn't give more than five years to an offensive player, more than three years to a pitcher. And I'm sure I'd get no free agents as a result. But that's really how I feel um, because I just won't tie up a team's finances for that long. It's just not fair. Uh, because players fade. I mean, if there's one thing that the time has proven correctly, with the possible exception of Bartolo Colon and Ricky Henderson, players fade. Um, so, yeah, I mean, absolutely. you know, I, I, but tell me, I mean, that's again, we're going into the market. Tell me who's good, at, you know, who's comparable to Cespedes that would be available this offseason. There's no one. Absolutely. Nobody. Yep. Yeah, so I mean, if you need a Cespedes like player for next right. year and beyond, you've got to go get Cespedes. Just get Cespedes. I totally agree with you. And I agree that, yes, he still does drive me insane at times as well with his antics. But you just you know with him, you know what you're going to get. And the one thing he had done until recently, really, this year, was he had actually shown a little bit of that consistency that we uh, we had grown frustrated not seeing out of him. He hadn't been as streaky until recently. So if he could potentially kind of eliminate, not even eliminate, but lower that aspect of his game down just makes him all the more desirable. But, I mean, we've been talking at length about the, the outfield commodities that we have coming or that we have just called up, and those are nice. And I really think that Conforto can grow into a very special player. I think Nimmo can grow into a good outfielder. But do I think either of them could ever be Yohannes Cespedes? No, I don't. 
I, I think Conforto could be an all-star, but I don't think we'll ever see those raw power numbers that Cespedes could put up the way that he put them up last year out of him. I think at his peak, uh, Michael Conforto is Jason Hayward with less speed and more power. A fair comparison. I, I think that's that's Michael Conforto. He's not Ioannis Cespedes, but he's Hayward with more power and a little less speed. Well, actually, a lot less speed. But uh, uh, I, I think to me, and that to me is all star caliber, and that's you know, that's what I'm happy with. That I'm ecstatic with that fact. I mean, despite yeah, his struggles this year, I am still firmly on Team Conforto. Oh, no question about it. And I, I really feel like he's going to come back up here and we're going to see more of the Conforto of last year than what we saw recently out of him. I feel like this is just a little mental break. Go get your head right down in Vegas. Mask the hell out of some PCLers, which he did. And uh, now come back up here and you'll be a regular part of the lineup and you'll be uh, producing again. I really – I have a lot of confidence in this kid that he's going to uh, rebound nicely and he will be back to all systems go once he gets up here and uh, – probably in the starting lineup tomorrow in Chicago. Yeah, because they didn't bring him up to ride the bench. They did not bring him up to ride the bench. No. And it's going to be very interesting because, yeah, there's there's going to be some moves in the next two weeks, and it's going to be fun covering them. Uh, but, uh, you know, at this point, uh, let me see, am, I doing, am I doing my math right that the deadline's going to fall during our, our right around our show? Literally? <laughs> yes, it is. And you know that the Mets love breaking news right before our show, so fingers crossed. Whoo! That's, uh... <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like an hour before showtime, I think. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> the, the, the term, I believe, at this time, uh, this time of year, uh, I believe is hashtag hug watch. Yep, that's it. That's what you're going to be seeing a lot of for the next two weeks. And it's going to be fun. So I'm looking forward to it. Dude, it's been awesome talking with you again. I appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, we're, we should hopefully be back on a pretty normal schedule here for the rest of the summer. But uh, bear with us. Life sometimes gets a little bit in the way. But uh, we're working on uh, getting you weekly here. And I'm, I'm just excited to be into the second half. Um, like I said, a lot of, a lot of things uh, good, a lot of things bad in the first half. Uh, but, um, you know, there are a couple things I'll say. I'm still firmly on Team Conforto, still firmly on Team Terry, uh, and I'm still on hashtag Sandy's plan. I've got faith. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, before we get off, I just want to say real quick, uh, a lot of you guys know I had a really, really crappy two weeks just recently, and that was one of the main reasons we weren't on the air. And I, I was debating whether or not I was going to keep what was going on with me on social media or off it. And I decided I, – I took the Twitter with it one night just because I, I was just bummed and all bad stuff was going on. For some reason, I didn't take the Facebook, and I took the Twitter with it. And, you know, I've said many occasions, Twitter is an awful and vile place. But I just want to say thank you to the members of hashtag Mets Twitter. I received – I'm not saying dozens. I'm saying I received – hundreds of at mentions, every single one of them supportive. And I read a lot of them to my wife because we were just really bummed out. And uh, I, a heartfelt thank you for me to those people who just took, it took you two seconds to reach out. Those two seconds really made a difference in our lives. So 
just thanks to our listeners. Thanks to the Mets Twitter. You guys are awesome. And uh, I really felt the love over those two weeks. And uh, we're back all, all cylinders firing now, and we're ready for some, uh, some second-half Mets baseball. So thanks to you guys. And, and also want to throw out, and this is one of this is one of those cases on Mets Twitter really giving me a, a warm fuzzy inside and seeing how they respond. Our good friend uh, Greg Prince, who's been on the show a number of times, of course from Faith and Fear and Flushing, the, you know one of my absolute favorite blogs, and just one of my absolute favorite people. Uh, if, if there's one thing you know about Greg from reading his blogs and talking to him for any period of time, there are not a lot of things more important to the Mets uh, than in his life. But one of them is family, and he lost his dad this week. And, you know, Met Twitter really stepped up. And, you know, obviously we send out our sympathies to his family and to him and just uh, wish all good things for them because, uh, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I think EJ, you know, when you talk about losing a parent, it, it's one of those things that the the child, the children left behind are, are the true testimony of the parent. And uh, Greg's a good, good man. So his, his father did some good work. He is indeed, and his dad did, and uh, yeah, he's uh, he's definitely feeling the love from you guys this week. So great job by Mets Twitter and the Mets community reaching out to him. And uh, for for this one week only, I will go ahead and say, you know what, Twitter isn't such a vile place after all. <laughs> well, November is just a couple months away, so I'll hold my. I'll hold my <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all right, we're, we're all going to be dancing we'll joy at that point because the Mets will be World Series winners at that point. So we'll still be elated in uh, in November. Well, exactly. And, if, if, you know, I, I already promised myself and, and, and everybody around me if the Mets win the World Series, I'm taking a month off Twitter. So, you know, uh, that'll, that'll get me past uh, any election day mayhem anyway. So it's all good. But uh, next week we should have a guest. There you uh, go, my friend. We, we kind of wanted to keep it just the two of us today. So we kind of have our little family reunion. So appreciate uh, everybody listening to us blabber on for an hour. And uh, until next week, a uh, big series coming up against Chicago. So let's go Mets. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.